Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott. And through this podcast, we have the privilege of being able to share and integrate very cool science on everything from attachment to neuroscience about the mind and the brain and the body, mindfulness, trauma, some of the latest research on trauma, but basically bringing the biology and the hard sciences out to the public and hopefully make them usable and practical in day-to-day life. And we focus a lot on growing ourselves and helping ourselves actualize and get healthier and be able to respond rather than react, things like that. We also focus on relationships. But the other thing that we always have in mind and we um, talk about is community. And there has never been a more, at least in the community, Yeah, and today in current events, there is a significant issue happening that is completely applicable to the things that we know and love and are bringing to our listeners. And that is what's happening at the U.S. border with the separation of family and children. That's right. So non-documented immigrants are coming over and there was a policy change where that rather than them being processed and then being able to apply for asylum, it has been criminalized. And so the parents are being arrested and the children are being taken from them. And there's no coherent at all. This is a federal judge just today said that, you know, even with property, when there's an arrest, even for citizens and for aliens, everybody, they document the property, the automobile, the significant, you know, the wallet, things like that. They track it, they store it, and then they return it when the defendant is released. In this case, there's no adequate way to track the children. This is, again, by a federal judge. This is not a political statement. There's no way for them to have contact while they're being detained with parents. The, the parents and the children are out of contact. And then third, there is no plan for reunification. They just began to do it before that they even figured out how that they were going to, you know, reunite the parents and the children. So as of this recording, the federal judges come out and said that there must be a plan for reunification, that the separations have to stop and all of that. But what we want to do is go really slow so that people can understand why this is a big deal. It's not a political agenda. It's a mental health. It's a human rights issue. It's a physical health issue. And we want you to be able to understand it and take it in and also be able to articulate it, you know, in your communities about why this is important and why it's not over just because a judge has said you must reunify. Oh, yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. And I love what you're saying. This is not a blue red issue. This crosses the divide because no matter where you stand on policy, yeah, human development is just human development. Human development is just, it's, it's not so, political. And, and why this is really important to our podcast, and that's, uh, and, and it's not just that we really, really feel strongly on this issue. It really relates to what we've been talking about. And that is the concept of attachment and the impact that the separation can have on these children and these families. And we really think that the more listeners really understand that this is not just, oh my gosh, this feels horrible, but it's actually could have a detrimental effect that's long lasting. I think it's going to be more impactful. 
That's exactly right. So as a quick review, over the last 75 years, it's a consensus of research. And as a matter of fact, we're going to link an article that I believe it has 41 authors that are the, is the global community of researchers that have been looking at attachment science and understanding the significance of primary relationships with children. Uh, this also is informed by the pediatric community, the child welfare community, all of the mental health, APA, the social workers. The medical community. That's you right. mentioned the pediatric, but we're speaking the medical community. That's exactly right. So the science part is not controversial. And that's what we're going to be talking about. It's like what actually happens in a separation, why it's a big deal, why it's not the same thing as dropping a child off at daycare and they cry, but they're fine. Right. Right. And this article that you're mentioning that has over, I think you mentioned 40 authors, the reason they've written so succinctly about this specific topic about the separation at the border is because everyone that studies in this is really, really profoundly impacted because we have the knowledge of the impact this has, and they felt compelled to get this out too. So this is part of our desire in our podcast is to get this kind of amazing research able to get out brought far and wide. So you were mentioning the 70 so years of research. And what we're talking about is it, it tracks all the way back. What we've been mainly speaking about is from Bowlby on, but speaking about how the impact on humans and on primates and uh, most mammals actually being separated from their primary caregiver. And so this is not just the idea of that children need to be fed and kept safe. And, and that's watered. And fed that's and watered. Say. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, it, it's really easy to believe once you see a child, as long as they're kept safe and calm, and we have a plan for someday eventually getting them back to their kids, everything should be fine. And what we want to really highlight that that's actually not true. And that from way back in our existence, the separation from our primary caregiver, that individual, typically the mom, but it could be the father, it could be the grandparent, but there are a few very primary... They're your peeps. They're your peeps. <laughs> you know who your peeps are. <laughs> they're, your, they're the few primary caregivers that are what a child has attached to. And it is that attachment and the separation that creates the depth of stress that can happen in a body that uh, it's not replaceable just by a guard or by some good meeting citizen that's going to kind of take the place for a period of time. It's not the same. And we really want to help you guys understand that. So let's talk about the biology of it. When mammals are threatened, you know, again, depending on the animal, they will go to their safe haven, which might be a burrow, or it might be a den, or it might be a nest. But there's a place to go to reconstitute and to escape danger. With upper primates and with human beings, it is a person. And this is what Anne's talking about, about the peeps. So there's a cascade of things that happen inside your body when you get threatened. And the first thing is that you try to get to your safe haven. So you get activated and you that's what you see. Like you protest, when your child protests, you're leaving <laughs> and they want to hang on. That is a biological, natural thing that one does. And what we normally see outside of these extremely traumatic stress events, which is what we're talking about at the border, is just the protest and the despair, right? It's painful, but once the separation happens, they can be comforted and reconstituted and they you know, move on. It's not the end of the world. It's, and if you'll notice that some people who are supporting this policy, you can hear the dismissiveness in their reasonings. And it's dismissing the emotional impact and the physiological impact by saying, well, 
we're keeping them safe and we're feeding them and we we threw a couple balls in there and there's cots or we might be providing safe homes you know, that's right good meaning families which are wonderful or strangers <laughs> but they're complete strangers probably not even speaking the right language so those of you following the podcast you'll hear how that that language is an attempt to shut down the emotional reaction and to shut down the need and to close the conversation and that's, as we know, kind of on the blue side. And so the policy is highly dismissive of the absolutely real natural needs, developmental needs of the child. Let's be real clear, Sue, when some people hear the blue side and they're not familiar with our podcast, <laughs> they might be thinking that we're meaning blue and red in terms of oh, Republican. <laughs> we, if, you haven't, if you're a first-time listener, That's we refer funny. to the blue side as an attachment style that is more avoidance and the red side as the attachment style of a bit more preoccupied, but not for today's podcast, but right. that's kind of what we're meaning. The blue side meaning, let's sort of avoid it and shut down that the emotional attachment isn't primary or relevant. And we're trying to help people really understand that that's really not the case. That's right. It's actually, if you'll look, listen to episode 59, 60, and 61, that will give that quick review. And it's not that the blue side thinks that the attachment isn't relevant. It's that there's been enough injury early on that they have, we have had to shut down our attachment awareness and our, and our attachment needs in order to stay close to the parent. So the needs are the same across all of these attachment types. Good point. But the strategies to stay close to the parent have had to change and adapt. Basically what happens in the separation is that there is a, you know, a raise of heart rate, cortical and stress hormones flood the body because you're being, you're preparing for the stress and you're preparing to be active. But when it's prolonged and when the stress is not comforted, then you're in this very long period where your organs are taxed and your vigilance sort of wears out. And basically another piece of the stress response is to begin to shut down. And you're talking about prolonged separation from the attachment figure, not just from comfort, but the prolonged distance from the attachment figure, which the child associates with safety. That's right. And what's prolonged? So what the research shows is even in the strange situation, which was the you know original Mary Main study that began to really help us understand this, those separations were only three minutes and they were the child was never actually left alone, but it was so stressful on the kids that sometimes they would have to shorten it because they were seeing the effect of the separation on the kids. And the interesting thing about that is the name of it is the strange situation. So what they inserted was a stranger instead of the primary caregiver. And that was enough for all children generally to experience some internal Significant, significant, significant distress, distress, just three minutes with a stranger. That's exactly So if you right. stop to imagine the impact of that and imagine what you're reading, where these children are all of a sudden waking up and their parent is gone in some cases, they don't know where, they don't know whether they're going to see the parent again. Or worse, that they saw the parent at separation oh, good and point. they saw absolute horror and strain and distress. And that's their last memory of their parent. And they don't know when they're coming back. And there's yeah, no contact. They don't know when they're coming back. They're on a concrete floor behind chain link fence. Again, this was we read this morning of a review by uh, Elizabeth Warren who toured the facilities. And this is what's happening. Let's take a quick moment out to thank our sponsor. Now, our listeners come from all types of professions and backgrounds all over the world. And we're so happy about that. 
And we are also really honored that many of our subscribers are mental health professionals like Sue and myself. And like us, many of you did not become clinicians because you were ecstatic about focusing on the business aspect of your practice. We want our attention to be on our clients and other really important endeavors. And that is where Theranest comes in. Now, Theranest is a practice management system for mental health professionals, and it can really help easily streamline your whole entire practice. It has a client portal for scheduling and great calendar organization. It has HIPAA-compliant notes and documentation, one-click claim submissions, credit card processing, and one of the really great parts also, it has a really amazing live customer service. So there's no reason not to check it out. You can try it for free. And as a listener, they are offering you 20% off for the first three months. And how you would get that is you would go to Theranist dot com backslash therapist uncensored. We're also will have a link on our website. So that is theranest.com backslash therapist uncensored. All right, let's get back to our show. Part of what we're talking about then when we're talking about the distress is also the impact not just in the moment and the cortisol, the 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 impact that that toxic stress will have on the children's bodies. And that this is not a temporary impact. This isn't just, oh, what we're talking about it is that there's going to be a temporary impact of a stress hormone, and then we're going to move on about our day. We're talking about a chronic and toxic level of stress that likely is happening in these children's bodies that could potentially significantly impact, like you were saying earlier, Sue, their brain development. And this is could be long-term impact. This isn't short-term impact. That's right. So we're not speaking about any particular child, of course, but we are talking about the science of the mind. And that when these stress hormones have been prolonged and unresolved that basically it can change the architecture of the brain. It changes how we respond to anxiety. It changes how we are able to think and process information. It changes how we, even our capacity to learn and to sort of update our models. Again, this is research that um, when people have these neuroanatomical changes, it affects memory it affects stress regulation, substance use, and even parenting in the next generation. So what we're seeing in this event that may be a short-term, hopefully is a short-term event, can absolutely impact things lifelong and maybe even beyond that. So this is a huge deal. This is not people overreacting. These are folks that understand basically the implications, the physiological implications of this kind of stress. And those physiological implications are then, like you're saying, imprinting on these children's understanding, as well as their parents' understanding of trust. Trust, is my environment a safe environment? Are the people around me a safe environment? And how does that trust get integrated in how these children will relate in the future? That's right. And it's not just trust like conscious trust. It's the body. It's biologically imprinting. Right. So it's not even as high of a level of a thought. It's just an unconscious filter that will come in. And, and so the body will respond differently. Like, like, for example, like when there is a small stress event in the future, might have more difficulty recovering from that small stress event. That's an example. The science is so profound on this and not divided that even rat pups separated from their mothers for a short time, you can document the neuroanatomical changes in the brain and it affects their offspring. And, and it, yeah, that's epigenetics. It affects their offsprings and it's long lasting. And what's interesting about that is that because research on primates, et cetera, have shown such a devastating and long-term effect and not a temporary effect. Yeah. Think of Harlow monkeys. If yeah. anybody has that image of those 
poor baby monkeys in a wire cage. Absolutely. And the ethics boards, because that it actually can change the structure for those infant primates, the ethic boards and animal studies don't allow a long-term separation. So our research with animal and primates, thankfully, don't get me wrong, thankfully, are really governing things to happen so that they don't happen like we are doing with humans right this second at our border. Right. So basically what you're saying is that undocumented human immigrants have less rights than lab animals. <laughs> a little bit right now. I have got I've little. <laughs> I've confidence that the outpouring right now is going to shift and, and is shifting that. And that's part of what we want to be part of. And we want to help people understand that this is not just a sort of woo-woo, oh, this just is making us feel bad. I saw a, a, somebody post something about, well, if we're going to outcry like this, we need to outcry for foster children. And uh, I wasn't sure of the intent of that, but I, I don't necessarily disagree that, in fact, we really need to be taking in these kind of separation from parents in a very, very serious way. Right. And foster parent, that's an interesting thing. You know, I used to work for Child Protective Services, and I also know this just from the research that even an abused or maltreated child has absolute separation distress when when separated from that parent, even an abusive parent. And the idea behind that from an evolutionary standpoint is that even an abusive parent is still net gain good for the child from the dangers of the world. So that's how powerful the bond is. Because you can, they can actually, wake up in a hospital being put in the hospital from their mom, say, and the first thing they want is their mom. Even if they're abusive, and partly because if even with an abusive parent, you learn to predict it. You learn to be able with an abusive parent to know how you alter your body to be able to keep that parent close. And there's something in that prediction, as difficult as that is, that really can add to a level of stability for the child. Now, we are not saying at all advocating that abuse is going to lead to stability. But what we're saying is, is what happens at the border and these sudden and unpredictable departures that we're really wanting the people to understand how impactful that is on the whole family system, but primarily the kids and their kids. And there's just, there was one more point on this. You know, I, we had mentioned that when you have extreme stress event, that it sets you up to have more difficulty recovering in the future. Well, the other problem at the border is that a lot of these kids have a number of high-risk socioeconomic factors and have probably been in very strained. The whole point of them coming over is many of them are seeking asylum and would normally qualify for asylum out of torture, out of gangs. There's multiple reasons, violent reasons. It's about safety that they're here. And so now there's been this rupture again probably with bodies that aren't going to be the healthiest to bounce back. And then the parents are under such strain that even if they can get an interview, a request for asylum, which is what they have to do, because they have to make a case for themselves about why that coming over is a life event, you know, is, is protecting their life. And it's going to be much harder for them to be able to do that, you know, when they're in disillusion because that they have lost their child. And we actually read specific examples we, with parents, like a father trying to run and take his adolescent boy from away El Salvador. from yeah. El Salvador so that they were not being forced to join a gang, trying to, and we were, right. to, he left his wife and his, his daughters to protect his son, to protect his son from having to join a gang. And that's one of the kids that is in detention now. That's Yes, exactly. Or Elizabeth Warren, a mother that has fed water to a police officer. Where was that? And, and that because Cambodia. of that, 
Oh, yes, that's right. And the, because of that, the gangs had decided that they, she was colluding with the police. So this so her mother was at risk and her children's life. So she took her children and she ran. And uh, this mother having her children uh, suddenly removed from them, she has no idea when and if she's going to see these children again. And now she's saying, can you tell me your story? And what they're noting, the, the uh, attorneys that are interviewing these mothers are noting that they can't get the story because they can't get regulated. They're so dysregulated about their loss of their children, they can't even articulate. Their whole brain is responding in, a, in such a level of primary distress that they're not able to produce an articulate story. So not to be too depressing, <laughs> uh, really, this is more a call to pay attention and also an example of the science in action. And toxic stress isn't just happening at the border. Like Ann mentioned earlier, foster care is another, of course, really good example that we should pay attention to. But many of us in our lives have stress and strain. And so it's really, again, an invitation to take very seriously this dangerous chemical if flooded and if, you know, it's... <laughs> if it stays in our body for too long. And uh, that's like the stress we're feeling right now as the dog is barking <laughs> in the background. Oh, I, I'm just going to introduce Cooper. That's his name. He's saying hello. So, anyway, just wrapping this back up to all of us and all of our listeners that we also talk a lot about mindfulness and meditation and therapy and turning towards close others. All of these things are ways to modulate stress. And, and even hearing this super distressing news and being helpless to do anything is another form of, you know, pretty severe stress. And actually working with mindfulness, but also in action. When we hear chronic stress, we feel chronic stress because we feel helpless. If there's anything we can do to take action, that really, really does help the process. And that's one thing that's pretty impactful. There are a lot of people that are really standing up against what's happening at the border and are really actively engaged in trying to intervene. And that's really a hopeful outcome, I think. That includes us. We are on the list to go down there and do interviews with the kids and things like that. What we know right now is that there's a backlog of people wanting to volunteer. However, there are places to fund and we will put the GoFundMe and we'll put a couple of links for folks that want to do something and try to help this crisis. Uh, that would be great. So we really appreciate you listening. And again, we're, we're going to attach that article and uh, things to do, things you can do. And we'll keep that updated. Right now, we'll put what we know. But if we if new things come along, we'll put that on the show notes as well. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you hear, please feel free to pass it on. If you enjoyed it, or this one might not have been so fun, but uh, if you find it valuable. <laughs> That's a good point. This is, this is not a woo-woo dialogue. <laughs> yeah, and we would also appreciate any kind of feedback. We really do listen and appreciate any time that you could take to rate and review us. All right, thanks. We will see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.